0: What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC.
1: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be one to make friends if it's trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Let's talk about euphoria. And by that, I mean the fabulous, fabulous lack of euphoria. Yes, the lack of euphoria in this bull market. Let's talk about Lyft. After placid day where the Dow backslid 79 points, the hasn't be inched up less than one basis point. NASDAQ actually advanced 0.25%. I think the decided lack of enthusiasm for the stock deal that is Lyft is one of the best things best things that's happened to this market in ages. And no one's saying this, but listen up. First of all, I know I got it wrong. I've had to play whack-a-mole with the haters because last week I said Lyft could be a good trade. Shortly thereafter, the stock fell disastrously through its offering price, even as the rest of the market performed well. Lyft was decidedly a dud. Initially, I was too focused on myself, or as my wife constantly says, you always think it's all about you. Hey, she's not wrong. It's kind of a wives' theme, you know, plural. But once I got over the fact that underwriter J.P. Morgan allowed Lyft's stock to slice through the $72 offering price like a DeWalt buzzsaw through a stick of Land I realized that, wait a second, you know what? This may be a huge positive for the market. With the help of a grizzled vet I used to trade with, I figured out that the collapse of Lyft is a powerful sign that there's no irrational exuberance here to be found. The enthusiasm is constrained for this market. Investors are behaving rationally. That's not what I expected a week ago what I was most worried about. Remember all these IPOs? I think this might be fantastic. Now, while I like Lyft as a play on the turbocharged growth of the ride-sharing business, I also know that it's losing a ton of money. I'm not oblivious. As a commentator, my job is to help you try to game the gamers, which means figuring out what the big accounts will do because they're the ones who move stock prices with their buying and selling. With Lyft, I thought the underwriters did a good job of parceling out the stock, meaning the money managers they allocated it to would hold their shares rather than flipping them. It looks like I gamed it wrong on me. Now, there was some irrational exuberance at the opening trading. I first heard that Lyft could begin trading at $80. Bucks. That's fine on a $72 offer. Then I heard it $84 to $85, and that's getting up there. Next thing you know, I'm hearing it could be $90, even $100. And that was way, way too high. It could have been a Facebook-like disaster. Then the underwriters released some of the portfolio managers who promised to hold onto the stock because they didn't want to lose control of the IPO process, but it was really too late. It, it drove Lyft back, though, to 87, which I said was a good opening because it was a lot better than a crazy spike to 100. But the damage was already done. Lyft was in weak hands. Smaller holders who purchased the stock using market orders, not limit orders, which is exactly the opposite of what I always tell you to do. Next you know, the sellers go on the offensive, and after a stand as uh, brief as it was at 80 bucks, Lyft had a total breakdown. The bids, they got obliterated. The underwriters, and here I'm talking about J.P. Morgan, seemed to make a half hearted attempt to stabilize the stock around the IPO prices. But that didn't work either. Now Lyft is a $69 stock, which means anyone who got in on the deal has lost money. And the underwriters didn't even try to stabilize it at all today. Letting it find its own natural level, so to speak, oh, they were lucky. The stock had dropped to $66, 22 points from where it traded just the other day, but closed at the $69 level, still well below the $72 pricing. What's so great about that? After a lot of people lost money, and I don't like people losing money, well, I'll tell you what's so great about it. Listen, going into the Lyft IPO, you know what my biggest fear was. It was that the deal would go off without a hitch. That would encourage the likes of Palantir, Casper, Slack, Pinterest, Uber, to rush to the market, top up all the excess money sloshed around, because these companies want to take it while the take is good. And that's why I warn you that a flood of new deals could swamp the stock market with too much supply, particularly because much of the demand would normally be from index funds, and these aren't in the index, so they won't be bought. Now, though, that's much less a concern for me after the d- disaster that was Lyft. Now, can you imagine discussions between the brokers and these private companies, most of which are losing money just as fast as Lyft? I bet the brokers are saying, look, unless you want to lift on your hands, unless you want to look like idiots, we're going to get things under control. We aren't going to allow these big first-day pops. Instead, we're going to sate the market at a level where we believe we can control it. And the companies will agree. They don't want to be too greedy It failed with Lyft. Hey, maybe people won't want to, want to ride with Uber now who bought Lyft. You ever thought of that? It's a really bad idea to have what happened to Lyft. You may have liked Lyft, and then you got lost money on the deal, and now you're switching to Uber. It's the exact opposite of what Lyft wanted. So what happens now? How about the preservation of the bull market? Yeah, bulls tend to die from exuberance not on um, we. They get slain by an excess of stock supply and a shortage of analytic rigor, not a sobering reflection on the botched Lyft deal. Lyft discourages the IPO animal spirits. The exact opposite of 1999, that was the most heated IPO market, and of course it led to this incredible top in the NASDAQ. I'll go one step further. When I see the anger on Twitter from people who got burned on Lyft, and of course then blame me because I'm an easy target, I, not the syndicate head of J.P. Morgan, or the investment bankers, faceless investment bankers that courted the deal, faceless syndicate people right. They don't. Who knows what they look like other than when you see them at the club? I know this is going to be a total curb your enthusiasm moment. You know we haven't fallen victim to euphoria, but I'm getting this much hate mail. Only I would actually, masochists would actually like that. Bring it on, right? That's what you're not supposed to say. That's what Bush said. I say, hit me again. Now it's not just the lift fiasco that makes me feel more positive. You'll all, you've got this whole thing going with the Love Canal. I'm sorry, with Walgreens. Uh, it actually more, smells more like the Gowanus Canal used to. Here's a drugstore chain that just reported a ridiculous query. One that showed the company is totally oblivious to pretty much every major retail trend out there. Uh, also, every healthcare trend out there. Uh, from their insistence to continue to sell tobacco, hey man, maybe they want to get some of those jewels, you know, like the wintergreen or the gummy jewels, you know, the ones that are like peeps. <laughs> Or um, that's a Easter reference. Or, you know, the huge declines in prescriptions and the front of the store sales. It was pitiful. I mean, it was horrible. It was really, it was maybe one of the worst conference calls. And they are, they should have pre announced a big number. On the conference call, management repeatedly talked about digitization. I'm like, are you kidding me? Walgreens is so far behind, I don't even know what their omni-channel strategy is. Now, I understand how the government wants reimbursement cut back. I get that. I understand that Walgreens was caught up against different, compar- different comparisons because that is cold and flu season. I even get why they couldn't make as much money on generic trucks. But let's face it, the front of this door is getting crushed because customers simply aren't coming in the door like they used to. Why? One word, Amazon. Yep, unlike Costco or Walmart or Target or Home Depot, Walgreens has no strategy for dealing with the death star of retail. Even CVS, at least, acquired tried to acquire uh, acquired Aetna, Although we know that hasn't worked out exactly yet. The stock was down another two bucks. Larry Merlot, thank you for coming on, though. Walgreens, the chain that wanted Theranos Labs. Theranos Labs! (laughs) Yeah, in all 8,200 stores, at least according to Elizabeth Holmes. uh, Oh, I guess I understand congratulations in order. I mean, best wishes. Um, Now, they've distinguished themselves as the lift of drugstore chains. Now, like Bed, Bath & Beyond, I have no idea how to save this one, but I don't for sure that buying back $3.8 billion worth of stock is not the answer, especially when your own CFO on the conference call admits that your cash flow is pretty rocky. I like the idea of in-store clinics. CVS is doing that. But in retrospect, I don't think no in-store clinics in all stores, well, let's just say it might have been ill-advised. Sure, there's um, bizarre good news today from an unenthusiastic place, none other than Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg nailed his 95 feces to the op-ed page of the Washington Post, talking about how this company is no longer a higher gun. Well, that's how the stock could rally more than five bucks today on a benign push from Deutsche Bank. Now Facebook's loved. They're saints. But here's the bottom line. We had a rational lack of exuberance for Lyft, a loss making company that seemed like it would be red hot, at least to me. I thought it would work. I didn't. Or as those incredible stock sages, outcast. Yes, outcast. So eloquently put it. Now, what's cooler than being cool? Ice cold. Lyft was ice cold. And that's great news for the rest of the market, because a flood of hot IPOs is the last thing is the last thing the Bulls need. Hey, I want to start the calls with Joanna and Marlon. Joanna! Hiya, Jim. How you doing? Excellent. How about you, Joanna?
2: Awesome. I have my son, Robert, here, who has a great question for you. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I recently finished the family and consumer science class in school where I learned all about the stock market. I wanted to try trading stocks on my own, so I asked for a brokerage account for my birthday from my grandparents. My grandfather loved your show and told me to start watching it to learn what stocks might be a good investment. I know you really like Apple, and so far I have bought several shares of Apple stocks. But now I want to know if you think that Ford
1: is a good investment. Oh, you know, well, first of all, this kid's got horse sense, right? Thank you. Thank you, grandfather. Here's the problem with Ford they have the, Exped- the Expedition's making a ton of money for them. The Lincoln Navigator's making a ton of money for them. The F-150's making a ton of money for them. The Super Duty's making a ton of money for them. But at the same time, they have all these other businesses from around the world. So I'm going to have to say, we're going to pass right now. And thank you, Joanna, for putting you on, too. Oh, my God, is that OutKast from 2003? It sure does seem like it. All right. In the end, we had a rational lack of exuberance for lift. Lend me some sugar, partner. It was just ice cold. And that's great news for the rest of the market. On Mad Tonight, I'm hopping behind the wheel for a test drive of Tesla, or at least the technicals. While the drive is electrifying, it might take on the stock that you I, you won't believe this take. Honestly, you better stick around. And after Orange's 20% drop on Friday, the company might look like it's in need of a restoration itself. I'm exploring what led to this deep decline and telling you how it compares to its peers to, in the furniture space and why yesterday's move has nothing to do with what's happening here at home. Third use.
0: What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC.
1: All right, when everybody else is at their most emotional, crazed moments, that's when you need to be at your most empirical, surgical. When Wall Street's afraid, you take a deep breath and you try to approach things from a, a more logical, quantitative perspective. In short, when a stock's trading wildly based on fear, okay, and hope, the best thing you can do is to remove your feelings from the equation. So how do you make that happen? Well, I got one way. You fall back on the charts. Technical analysis is far from perfect. Some would argue that it's the stock market equivalent of astrology, but it gives you a prism that's based on the empirical observations, and that is always going to be worth a lot. It's part of the mix. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Bob Marino. He's a brilliant technician. You might must well be my colleague at RealMoney.com where I blog multitudinous hours of the day and, of course, night, as well as being the publisher of RightViewTrading.com. OK, right Marino called the market wide bottom in December and just everybody else was really just panicking. It's one of the reasons why we're back here. So you got to pay close attention when he says that. Oh, man, I hesitate to even say this is not my recommendation. OK, he says that Tesla, Tesla, the electric car maker with the seemingly unhinged CEO and a volatile stock could be ready to rebound here. Are you listening, Elon? At 3 in the morning when you told me I couldn't take the heat, get this. I am agreeing with you on one thing. I'm putting on a chartist who likes your stock. Yeah, Marino likes Tesla, a stock that's been put through the meat grinder in recent months. company has revolutionized the auto industry, but right now it's plagued by endless worries. I mean, you've got founder and CEO Elon Musk just begging to be held in contempt of court. Last year, he agreed to a settlement with the SEC where Tesla was supposed to vet all of his tweets about the business. Yet, the SEC claims uh, there's this whole pre-approval process, and it was a sham. Hey, now it's up to a distinguished jurist, Judge Allison Nathan of Philadelphia, on Thursday to hold Musk accountable. And there's a real chance that Tesla could lose its visionary CEO. That's going to be a courthouse in the Southern District of New York. I'm predicting Circus Maximus. Say what you will about Elon Musk. He may have the self-control, say, of a a toddler, but he's got a fabulous sense of showmanship. And a lot of people own the stock because they believe in his leadership. (laughs) On top of that, later this week, the company's going to announce production numbers for its new Model 3. Phil LeBeau has been all over this. That's the mass market Tesla. Given that this tends to be a very volatile stock, that data point is super important. If the production figures are strong, the stock can soar, especially if Elon's not going uh, losing his job. If the figure's are disappointing and Elon loses his job, that, I would call that disappointing. Uh, even with Tesla already down more than 90 points from its most recent peak last December, I don't have a lot of insight into this story based on the fundamentals. So what can Bob Marino's charts tell us? Well, let's start by taking the long view with Tesla's monthly chart. What you see here is pretty straightforward. The stock has spent years trading in very well-defined channels, even though those channels can be pretty wide. Basically, it's been range-bound. Marino points out that in April 2013, Tesla broke out above the cilium resistance at 40 bucks, at, at the top of its range and then entered a whole new channel right here. After an explosive move higher, the stock entered a multi-year consolidation period, bouncing between 280 at its high, okay, and then I'm sorry, 280 at its high, and then 180 at it's low. See, this is that's that just incredible. Look at that tight range. And then whenever Tesla pulled back to its floor support, it turned out to be a buying opportunity. Anytime that was a buying opportunity. Now, after the stock bottom in December of 2016. Once again, bouncing off the low end of the range, Tesla broke out to new highs. Uh, was, a lot of you thought it was a short squeeze, but it worked, rallying more than 100% in the first half of 2017. Once again, Marino points out that we got more consolidation for the past two years. Stock's been stuck, 243.80, 243.80, 243.80. Now, why does this matter? Because Merino believes that the stock has consolidated long enough. At its lows zero this month, Tesla once again tested the bottom of the trading range, and it also briefly touched its uptrend line. Pretty positive. To him, this is looking a lot like the the big wipeout before the stock's gigantic rally from its lows in 2016. All the way up here. What else? Maria notes that Tesla Tesla's formed what's known as a large hammer-like candle. That means it doesn't have a little thing coming out of it. It's a hammer. It goes like that, okay? Uh, that's when a stock plummets during a single period, but then rebounds to close much closer to where it opened. This is a classic sign of a bullish reversal, and it's a major reason Marina believes that Tesla may have bottom. By the way, we had the exact same uh, uh, pattern last week with Dow. I don't know if you saw it. It bounced back, and then today it kept going. How about we zoom in on the weekly chart? This one gives you a much closer view of the channel. Tesla's been stuck for the past two years in this darn channel. Resistance is up at 380. The floor support's down around 240 to 250. Okay? Now, Marino points out uh, that in the final week of March, we got what is known as a bullish, engulfing candle pattern. I'm always trying to give you new patterns here. And that's, right here. that's where you get a week where the stock's opening and closing prices totally encompasses the entire range from the previous week. Kind of interesting, right? All right. So that's an engulfing pattern. In this case, the engulfing candle opened near the lows for the week and then closed at the high. Again, that is a totally bullish signal. Even though it's really small, it's a bullish signal, people. Meanwhile, check out the slow stochastic oscillator, the SSTO, important momentum gauge that helps us figure out when a stock has gotten overbought or oversold. tells you when something could be poised to change directions. When it comes to Tesla, the oscillator is only just crossing out of oversold territory. Right now, meaning it came down uh, maybe too far too fast, do for a bounce that's a do for the bounce chart, yeah, but we always have to look at the chicken money flow CMF all right, uh, a tool that measures the level of buying and selling pressure. This one recently crossed into negative territory, and Reno says it will need to turn positive if Tesla is going to have a, substan- a sustainable substantial rally from its lows so this in all in this whole panoply of everything, the only thing that is not in sync is that right there, the in money flow that worries me did not seem to really worry Merino that much. Finally, let's get up close and personal with Tesla's short-term daily chart. This is very instructive, because I looked at this and was very negative. But he tells me, wait a second. Well, in the daily, you can see the long-term trading range. But Marino also notes that Tesla's recent decline has formed a new downward-sloping channel, which the stock seems to be trapped in. I thought that was very negative. That negative channel took Tesla back do- uh, down to its long-term floor of support. However, last week, the stock made a terrific comeback. And that's what he's focused on. According to Marino, this resembles action— Something This is called a morning star pattern. Now, get this. This is a pattern. It's a three-day formation. First, you have a large down day, followed by a day where the stock trades in a very tight range, followed by a big rally. Often, this kind of pattern represents a reversal in investor sentiment, just like the other one. It's a reversal in sentiment right here. After the sellers got washed out, the buyers started to feel emboldened. Reno points out that we saw the same morning star pattern when Tesla bounced off its lows in September and October of last year. Okay, pretty amazing, huh? Those are the morning star patterns, and that's why he thinks we could be due for another substantial bounce. Remember, this is unemotional. He's not thinking about the court suit, not thinking about the April Fourth hearing in the Southern District. He's not thinking about the models we cut numbers. On top of that, the daily chart slow stochastic oscillator, the SSTO, has started to show some real positive momentum here. That's very great. Recently, making bullish crossover. That's the uh, black going over the red. Okay. And uh, it, it, it's moving above the center line, which is really important, too. That suggests Tesla may be getting its groove back. So what does the stock need to do before it can roar higher here, other than also have Elon Musk not do crazy tweeting. Marina says the first hurdle is the ceiling of resistance created by the high end of the negative channel. It's around $290. Okay, so it's right here. Up about five bucks from where the stock's currently trading. If Tesla can cross that threshold, Marina is betting the stock will fill in the big gap from January and climb to the three forties. Boy, do you ever want to get that right? Um, nearly twenty percent before it's currently trading, and in theory, the stock could go all the way up to three eighty before it runs into the long term thesis. Now, let me give you the bottom line of what is, frankly, a completely contrarian view. We know Tesla has been incredibly volatile, and not and Tesla, also the founders volatile, and with good reason. But the charts, as interpreted by Bob Marino, say that it's time to buy this stock. He thinks Tesla has limited downside and substantial upside to these levels. My view uh, is a high-risk situation. It's too risky for me. But Marino's got a great track record. He needs to be taken seriously. Much more money at Furniture Wars. I'll tell you if RH or Wayfair could make a better buy in this market. than the miracle material known as plastic has made modern life possible, but as more consumers focus on the environment, is it fair to ask how it plans to address the problem? I'm giving you my take. And we've all been there. It's a 2 a.m. It's 2 a.m. And you're desperate for a Chalupa Supreme. I'm talking to one tech company that can make your dreams a reality. So stay with Kramer. To do when a well-run company blindsides you by slashing its earnings forecast in its stock just craters. Or to be specific, what the heck just happened to RH, the high-end furniture chain formerly known as Restoration Hardware? Last Friday, RH hit you with a brutal guide down for 2019 on both the top and the bottom line. That's the last thing you want to hear, which is why the stock went into free fall, with RH losing nearly 22% of its value on Friday, falling from 132 to 103. Man, it was indeed that bad. Regular viewers know I'm a huge fan of RH and its CEO, and I like not just by the way the stock. I like to shop there too. I even like to eat dinner up there. Gary Friedman, who takes a very long-term approach to building value, has done a remarkable job. I love the stores; they look like art galleries. I love the catalog. I love the e-commerce business, not the, not as much as the other stuff because I like to I like to browse. But man, oh man, the stock deserved to sell off after that ugly forecast. So what do you do now with RH? It's trading at 101. It's down more than 60 bucks from highs last year. Why don't we drill down? Let's be analytic. First, you need to understand that this is kind of a swoon, as no stranger to the artist formerly known as Restoration Hardware. The high-end furniture chain used to be a high-flying growth stock, but then in 2015, the business matured and the growth started slowing. As a result, the stock plunged from the triple digits down to the 20s at its low in early 2017. However, from those depressed levels, RH executed a phenomenal comeback. Really was it was it was dazzling. Stock surged back to nearly 165 at its all-time highs last June. How well the company kept growing in store count. They modernized their catalog business. They made the locations even more enticing, if you can imagine. And they uh, these already f- felt more like art galleries than retail outlets anyway. They're gorgeous. Even better, when R.H.'s stock was down and out, the company bought back an enormous quantity, quantity of its own shares. It had done this convertible bond buy buyback stock. And by the way, Friedman himself did some insider buying of, mag- just, uh, of magnitude in the mid-20s that made you say, hey, I got to go buy this since Fast forward to September. When we spoke to Friedman from the company's newest, most fabulous store in Manhattan, <laughs> the stock was selling off because R.H. had just reported an imperfect quarter, a gigantic earnings beat. On top of a modest revenue miss, remember, people like sales growth in retailers. Even his management raised their full-year earnings forecast pretty dramatically. At the time, he told a terrific story about the company's long-term growth prospects. So uh, what the world went wrong? Well, when RH reported again last Friday, they delivered a 15-cent earnings beat off a 285 basis, with weaker-than-expected sales up just 0.3% year-over-year. Well, you know, that's barely growth. In isolation, those would have been solid numbers. But management also slashed their full-year forecast, indicating the future will be weaker than they previously expected. Ram- somewhat reminiscent, I have to admit, of the Walgreens slash today, where we thought they were going to earn maybe high single digits. And then they told us it would be flat. When RH gave its preliminary 2019 guidance in December, they called for 8 to 12% revenue growth. Last week, they cut that to a 3 to 5% range brutal. In December, they talked about earning $9.30 to $10.70 per share this year. Last week, they guided down to $8.41 to $9.09. Yep, yeah, at the midpoint of their forecast, R.H. cut its guidance by 12.5%. Agonizing. That's a big change versus what Friedman told us. Oh, i got to play what's known as a SOT. Most retailers just reconceptualize or evolve the front end of their business. But because it's 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 hard to kind
3: of run a business and then kind of change the engines. Right. Uh, you know, it's like you're flying the plane. We're reconceptualizing the, in, the engines and reconceptualizing the back
1: end. And then we'll pivot back to more accelerated growth next year on what we believe will be the most profitable and capital efficient platform in our industry by far. Ouch. May I have been a little over optimistic. Meanwhile, management's projections for the next quarter were, were pretty lackluster. And they told us they were going to stop breaking out their same-store sales numbers. Now, it's very reminiscent of an Apple side to stop breaking out the number of iPhones they sell. Gary Friedman says they don't use same-store sales as a metric to run the business anyway. They don't care whether you buy the merchandise in the physical store from the catalog or off the Internet. So it's it's actually not an encouraging sign, especially for a guy like me, hidebound, I admit, who's been brought up to believe that same-store sales are the be-all and end-all of retail. And I totally understand. I totally understand if Gary thinks that I'm limited. But you know what? I've been around for a long time and same store sales still mean a lot to me. And I can't change my stripes now. Now, what was the culprit for hs weakness? On well, the conference call, management pointed to the continued weakness in their core business in the wake of the market's volatility in the stock market as well as the negative trends in the high-end housing market. When you're in the business of selling fancy home furnishings, your business tends to take a hit when the housing market, and more important, the stock market, stalls. Hey, by the way, we heard that from um, Ethan Allen years ago, and I always kept it in my mind. That's exactly what happened over the course of the fourth quarter for RH. At the same time, some of the softness is simply because RH is exiting some less profitable non-core businesses. Most of the analysts pounced; They had to cut numbers, uh, even the ones who like the company. For example, Deutsche Bank downgraded RH from buy to hold. That was stinging. They argued that this is the kind of high-end discretionary retailer that tends to get hammered during a slowing economy, especially with the not-so-hot housing market. They recommended putting a RH in the penalty box for a few quarters until the company can establish that they're on firmer footing. That's usually the reasonable response when a company fat, 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 uh, does such a huge forecast slash. But if you really want to get your head around this story, I think you've got to be a little more outside the box. Friedman had something to say on the conference call that I found incredibly illuminating. At one point, the call got a little contentious, with Friedman seemingly exasperated at the analyst's collective failure to understand how compelling R.H.'s business model is, basically saying that they were myopic. So then he starts talking about Wayfair. Wayfair, the outfit that uh, my kids buy this, uh, well, one of my kids buy stuff from, Uh, the, the rapidly growing online furniture retailer with a stock that's been on fire in recent months. Friedman said, well, he'd love to have Wayfair's valuation, which, of course, is humongous. He'd never want its margins because it's a lot less profitable than RH. It was a cool comparison. As he explained, the RH has spent three years rebuilding his platform, so they have some of the best operating margins in the business. Listen to this, quote, We're going to probably wind up with operating margins long-term that are double what they would have been if we had pursued just chasing sales, end quote. See, basically, Friedman doesn't want to be in the business of chasing unprofitable growth just to impress the stock market and the analyst critics who he thinks are short-sighted. He's actually trying to turn a profit. But that means RH gets treated like a value stock, while, uh, while something like Wayfair is a growth stock. And growth stocks get much, much higher valuations, like I talked about at the beginning of the show when we're talking about Lyft. Really, I don't think this is a fair comparison, frankly. Wayfair's been growing its sales at a 40%-plus clip, even as it's burning money. And for now, Wall Street treats it like a kind of a baby version of Amazon. RH, on the other hand, gave us just 2.7% revenue growth last year, and they're only forecasting 3 to 5% growth for 2019. But you know, maybe it's the wrong metric. RH has been focused on making itself a leaner, meaner operator, which is how the earnings of Caterpillar from a buck twenty-seven in 2016 to eight dollars and fifty-four cents last year. Isn't that incredible? I thought it was incredible, but no one seems to want to give RH the credit for the magnificent profitability, which is why the stock currently sells for just over ten times next year's earnings estimates. Where do I come down? Now, ordinarily, I'd hesitate to recommend any company that just flash its guidance. But if you believe the worst is over in our economy and the stock market, if you believe housing can start to rebound with lower interest rates in the spring weather, if you believe the Fed is now your friend, not your enemy, then I think R.H.'s guidance will end up looking way too cautious. On the other hand, if you're really worried about a slowdown and all that other stuff, I mentioned R.H. is not the stock for you. Bottom line. R.H. issued some hideous guidance. There's no question. But now that they've lowered the boom on us, I like the risk reward here. This is not Walgreens, people. I like it, especially if, like me, you believe our economy already is bottom. This company is simply a terrific operator, and it doesn't get the credit it deserves because management focuses on growing earnings rather than growing sales at any cost, like Wayfair. I say stop measuring Gary every day or even every quarter. This is one of the rare, rare people that you just got to let run. I think he's worth it. Let's go to Mason in Louisiana. Mason. Hey, Jim. First time caller, long
2: time viewer. I love your show, man. First time, long time! I have a question about Dick's sporting goods. A couple key concerns. First, I would like to know if you think there is an inverse correlation between the video game industry and the sporting goods industry, particularly sporting equipment sales. Simply put, as the video game industry grows, more time playing video games, less time playing actual sports. Well, geez. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Second is the concern over the slowing growth in North American sales from Nike and Adidas, recently reported. Adding more to this concern is the outstanding quarter by Lululemon, taking larger slices out of the same sports apparel pie Dick also eats from. Shortly after Lululemon's earnings report, Dick's announced they're dropping Reebok after its licensing agreement expires with Adidas to focus more on its own privately owned label. Well, like let, let's think
1: about this. Let's think about this. I think that, that Dix did not have a great quarter. I think that Lulu had an amazing quarter. And I think that Nike had a misunderstood quarter that gives you the best opportunity to buy right now. And I don't think that the pie is shrinking on athleisure. I think it is growing. We love athleisure here on oh, Bad Money. Okay, I get it. RH slash Asserties Podcast. And that sounds like a scary thing. But you know what? I like the risk-reward here. Before we have money to. hey, the last troll when it comes to plastic, how could it impact Dow's profits potential? I'm going to tell you that. I think it's a fair question. Then, as smartphones, mobile moments, and self-driving cars become more popular, accurate information is more important than ever. Like the facts. I'm eyeing one company that's hoping to bank on the trend. Don't miss my exclusive with Yext and what your calls some Rapid Fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Does it make sense to ask a CEO about how his products impact the environment? As someone who's trying to help you make money in the stock market, is there ever reason to deviate from talking about, say, earnings, sales, execution? This morning on Squawk on the Street, we interviewed Jim Fitterling. He's the superb CEO of the new Dow Inc., the spinoff of Dow DuPont, which began trading today on the New York Stock Exchange. I made it clear on last night's show and again this morning that I think Dow is a terrific investment especially if you believe the global economy is going to rebound with the United States and China at the lead, something I believe. I like Dow's prospects, both in terms of innovation and its bountiful cash flow that will allow the company to pay a 5% plus dividend. That's the, and that's the yield, and it's the highest in the Dow's industrial average. This business that got spun off as Dow Inc. has always been the finest plastics company around. And now that it's combined the best parts of the old Dow Chemical and DuPont, I'll be even, it'll be even better. Hey, look, it's no wonder the stock rallied 5% today on its first day. But after we discussed Dow's bona fides, I turned the conversation, awkwardly, I have to admit, toward the future of plastics. What happens if every state outlaws plastic bags, like the ban that New York approved last week? What if Dow makes plastic that's recyclable uh, but recycling is uneconomic, and people just end up throwing the bottles in the trash. What can Dow do about the great Pacific garbage patch? How can Dow justify well, uh, making this tough at all if it's going to end up polluting the oceans? Now, these are not the kinds of questions I would have asked even a few years ago. They didn't seem relevant to the equation, they were extraneous, they're not on point because they had nothing to do with the earnings per share. They didn't belong in the conversation. But that's no longer the case. The environment is a mess. And that has real implications for this business. For example, it's crazy to think the paper won't make a comeback and take market share from plastic because, well, paper's biodegradable. You don't need to care about the environment for this stuff to take a toll in your portfolio. What matters is that there are governments and regulators around the world who do care which means these issues will directly impact Dow's earnings in the not-too-distant future. Do we really believe that California, which led the way in getting rid of plastic bags, won't soon start going after soda companies demanding aluminum or glass containers? Doesn't it seem like a no-brainer to you? It does to me. So these issues matter to the earnings per share, but more important, they matter to how future portfolio managers will value those earnings, right? In other words, this stuff affects the price-to-earnings multiple, the P.E. that we'll pay for in the out years, because it makes all sorts of businesses more fragile. When I speak to younger people, I am so impressed by how much they care about the environment and how adamant they are about not using plastic. This is not my usual jokes about millennials. I mean, these are good, solid young people who teach us. They'll go to incredible lengths to avoid buying plastic water bottles. They want so badly to stop the abuse of our oceans. Some will go as far as saying that plastic is the new coal. So if you're in the plastics business, I'm betting your stock's price to raise multiple will shrink over time as these people become the next generation's portfolio managers, which is why it is imperative now to ask these questions, even as they would have been totally beside the point or even out of bounds in previous years. I think you render yourself irrelevant if you don't address these issues. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Dow will be a good investment. I believe CEO Jim Fiddling and his company will do their best to be good corporate citizens. But if I don't ask these tough, admittedly awkward questions, I now believe it amounts to nothing more than giving a free pass. And as the late, great Mark Keynes always told me, Jim, no free passes. That money's back in. It is time! It's time for the lightning round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Dang, cover the lightning round. I'm going to Michael in Florida. Michael! Greetings to the consulting guru of the stock market. Wow. How's okay. You? My question today is um, um the company will share its quarterly earnings statement on Thursday after the stock market closes. It will be, um, will it be a good buy for me and my portfolio or do I need to pass it by? The stock the stock is Duluth. Oh, Duluth! Hold I was looking at him, I was doing my game plan. I said, you know what? My uh, fantastic, unbelievable photographer here, Keith, is someone who gave me a Duluth jacket and I love it and wear it constantly, but I cannot game the earnings. I do not know how they do, although I will say that that's golden crossbones on the shoulder. People think it's a people like how I look at it. Let's go to Manas in California. Manas.
0: Booyah, Jim
2: from San Francisco.
1: Fantastic. We'll be out there soon.
2: Sorry, on the heels of Apple's recent announcement of getting into the credit card business, what do you think is in store for MasterCard?
1: Oh, man. AJ Bonga pulled it off. He's affiliated with the Goldman and with the Apple. He is so good. MasterCard is so good. Buy it. I need to go to James in Missouri. James!
2: Jim, with oil skyrocketing, why can't Carrizo catch a bid?
1: Because people think it might be in try- takeover talks or it might be buying someone. Chip Johnson's really good. I agree with you. I can't believe the stock is down where it is, but that's what's going on. It's all about takeover. Dora in Florida. Dora! Hi, I have the stock Amelon Pharmaceuticals. Well, man, you know, I got to tell you, I look at that company all the time and thinking it's going to get taken over. It is a decent spec. It actually is losing a lot of money, though. I want you to be careful. Josh in Washington. Josh. Jim, big booyah from Washington. Appreciate the show. First time caller. All right. Hey, uh, I'm uh, new to uh, looking at
2: companies in the different sectors. Kind of a beginner of prospecting heard a guy on CNBC talk about Nucor, which led me to United States
1: Steel Company. Well it Looks like a pretty fun company to be invested in. Yeah, but you got to look at the balance sheet, sir. You look at that balance sheet with Nucor, it is a thing of beauty, and it's got a good yield. X does not have that. It's, Nucor sells it very inexpensively, and it's been a great growth play. Take a look at how well it's done over the years. you got to stick with quality, and Nucor is quality. And that, legend, inclusion of the Lightning Round!
3: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: One of the biggest winners of 2019 are simply stocks that sold off way too hard in the second half of last year. They never should have been down so much in the first place. Consider the case of Yex, the cloud-based platform that builds itself as a knowledge engine provider. In plain English, Yex ensures that all the information about your company on the web is accurate and up-to-date. You know how hard that is to do, but they can do it. They also help their clients sync up with hundreds of different services from Google Maps to Facebook to Siri. They make sense of it. Now, Yex saw the stock plummet from 27 and change last August down to 12 bucks and change at late to December, uh, part of the brutal sell-off in all things cloud. Since then, though, the stock's been up. It's on fire. Yeah, it's up nearly fifty percent year-to-date, fueled in part by an excellent quarter. So, can this thing keep climbing? Let's check in with Howard Lerman. He's the founder and CEO of YEX. Get a better sense of how his company's doing. Where, Mr. Lerman, welcome back to Make Money. Good to see you, Howard. Have Thanks a seat. For Thanks me, for coming on. All right. So we do DKM. We do digital knowledge management, and I want you to tell me about a client that we would all know that needed your digital knowledge management.
3: Well, you know, today is Tuesday, and what better to eat on Tuesday than tacos? So Completely. It's Taco Tuesday. It's Taco Tuesday. So Taco Bell, with their 7,000 stores, uh, is a partner with X. But we don't just partner with food companies. Look. We added 350 new enterprise logos last year, 128 in Q4 alone. That's nearly one logo per day. So you could have Morgan Stanley Monday. You could have Taco Bell Tuesday. But why
1: does Taco Bell need you? I mean, they're a great company. We love, we've been recommending Yum for years. We think that they do a fantastic job. And we also like Yum China, too. But why do they need you? They've got their own people. How come they can't find out the facts and the truth? Well, we live in an era
3: of too much information. And much of it is wrong. And in this era of too much information, Yex delivers a new paradigm in search that enables consumers to get brand verified answers on all the major search, search platforms like Siri and Google and Alexa, even the Chinese search engine, Baidu. You did about deal with Baidu recently? That's right. So the overseas tourists from China that come and go to luxury brands or need to eat, they can find information, they can find facts in Mandarin. They don't use Google or
1: right. when, they, when they come to the United States. Well, it was very interesting because one of your uh, if you go to your website, you talk about travelers are a key group of people who are always in search mode and are always getting
3: the wrong steer. That's right. Travelers, so many different industries, financial services. Let's talk about Morgan Stanley. Stanley. Right. Wealth Advisors. They have over 14,000 wealth advisors. They all use the Yext platform to manage all the facts about every one of their advisors. They can log in, update their photo. They can say whether they're a CFP, what languages
1: they speak. They put it into Yext, and boom, it's updated everywhere. Well, one of the things I just loved in your conference call, you talked about you search... Old Navy for for what for, uh, plus sizes and you get directed to a Huffington Post article that says that Old Navy doesn't have plus sizes, but they do. How does this keep happening and how can you help stop it?
3: We stand for the truth. Okay.
1: The ultimate
3: authority on Old Navy, the ultimate authority on Taco Bell, the ultimate authority on Morgan Stanley or New York Presbyterian Health is the business itself. Right. And right. so when you look up a doctor and you're looking up a doctor that treats certain conditions and accepts certain insurances, you need to make sure that you get the right answer. The ultimate authority on the doctor is from the hospital and the doctor itself. That's what Yext stands for. And we put customers, the brand itself, with brand-verified answers in all these different services. Every customer journey starts with a question. And when you use Yext, your customers can get a
1: brand-verified answer. Now, uh, do you hire the Yext brain? Yext
3: Brain is an extension of Yext that lets customers create any type of entity they want with custom objects in their platform so they can publish events, they can publish menus, they can publish products. If you're in the financial services industry, you can publish a credit card. These are all new types of entities that companies can put into Yext to deliver answers to their customer at that exact moment of intent. Search has changed. It used right. to all be about websites. You'd type in a keyword and you get 10 blue links back on a right. page. Today when you search, you just get an answer. And the companies that put answers out there from them are the ones that are going to win in this massive paradigm shift. You have in your website, you have this
1: remarkable article which talks about how the quick serve restaurant industry has suddenly become the battleground for search. Why is that?
3: Well, look. I mean, it's something everyone does multiple times a day.
1: Right, like I always say, like, "Where's Wendy's? Like, right. well, where's Wendy's? That's really important. And what does Wendy's have? And it's, it's got to be there. And it's got to be accurate.
3: That's right. Does menu? Does Wendy's have a gluten-free menu items? So right. have Vegetarian right. items. Which of them? How many calories
1: are in a Whopper?
3: How many right. calories are in a Big
1: Mac? Yeah, the Burger King has a new, uh, you know, giant hamburger that is not the Impossible is, Whopper. Yes. Yes. I couldn't believe it. Is it true?
3: I apparently it's true. Although it is impossible. <laughs>
1: So if I want to, let's say if I want to know something about Taco Bell, all right, I want to know where Taco Bell is and what's new on the menu, Where they still have the bulimic, whatever it is, that's not called, bulimic, it's a, the Bavarian L- Illuminati thing. I can go, and I say, do you still have that? And it gets straight to them?
3: That's exactly right. These are the types of questions people ask.
1: Yes, the number one, what,
3: it's natural. That's right. The number one question someone asks when they visit, say, Newark Presbyterian Health, that's one of right. our customers, right. is they want to find a doctor that can treat their condition, right. that accepts their insurance, and is near them. Right. And if, if Newark Presbyterian Health can't answer that question, the consumer is going to go ask the question to a different provider. Yes, absolutely.
1: Wow. Well, i got to tell you, it's very exciting I know what you do. You provide facts and truth, which are very much in short supply on the web, if I might add. And I think you do a great job at it. That's Howard Lermes, the founder and CEO of YX. Stick with Kramer. Okay. Look, Walgreens is bad. Should people give up on CBS after Larry Marlowe's excellent review last week? The CBS is going to go lower. The Chapel Trust owner Just have to just say, OK, listen, I'm going to take some pain. CBS has Aetna, OK that's what walgreens lacks they got boots i like aetna more than boots okay and it's pretty simple one's better than the other so don't conflate them they are different kinds of companies but both of them are having trouble against amazon and there's just nothing you can do unless you really get the omni channel right i like to say there's always a bull market somewhere i promise i'll find it just for you right here on of money i'm jim kramer and i will see
0: you tomorrow what is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC.